Okay, everyone, thank you for joining. Tonight's class has been dedicated and sponsored. Yes. Did you start yet? I'm this minute I'm starting. Okay. Bye. Okay. So tonight's class has been dedicated by Lior Morgenstein, and this is an honor and for the safety of her brother, Yonatan Benorit, who has just been um, one of the soldiers going into Gaza now, and I shall protect him and all the, of the IDF soldiers. I shall protect them and watch them from any kind of harm, and they should be able to do what they need to do over there in safety and complete the eradication of Amalek the way God wants it to be eradicated, and they should merit the ultimate victory. And like we're learning over here, it should come in a manner of Padre B'Shalem, that the shouldn't be any enemy at all, as we're going to learn in the discourse. I do want to say that today is a very, very auspicious moment for myself because it's Hanukkah and it's the last night of Hanukkah. Hanukkah means dedication. And we are dedicating a whole new system tonight in the, in the recording quality of this class. As you can see on YouTube, it's a much sharper image thanks to a whole bunch of new equipment that we got. It's a brand new microphone, which, which should up the sound much better. And we got a new camera, which is hopefully very high end and therefore going to give you a very clear image of these classes and some extra good lighting on top of my head. I feel like I'm sitting at the dentist's office in front of me. <laughs> so it's really neat and it's really cool. And it's going to take me a while to be able to settle in into this fancy schmancy production. But I'm excited that this is the, the first class on YouTube with this new equipment. Literally, it arrived today. UPS delivered today the equipment, like seven, eight boxes of stuff. It was crazy. But this is really, really, really high-end production. So I'm very excited about this. Um, anybody that still wants to dedicate towards it, we um, covered some of it. I think there's about $700 that were still out. So if anybody wants to add on, there were a few generous people who donated towards it. And uh, there's about, I think, seven. And then we have to still buy one or two things. So it's about a 1,000 that we're still out. If anybody listening out there would like to complete this mitzvah because, you know, the clearer the channel is, I know the content is great, but sometimes the people complained about the voice, the quality of the sound, the quality of the, the lighting, the quality of the image. Now we're top-notch. We're ready for Trent, for teaching the teachings of Mashiach. I'm so excited. Any case. So if you're interested, please let us know. You can go to Mayon, M-A-A-Y-O-N dot com slash donate. M-A-A-Y-O-N dot com slash donate. Make a dedication towards this, this uh, in honor of whoever you want. And this will be a big schus. And I'm excited about that. And we're not done yet. We're still going to up the aesthetics, Bezrat Hashem, with a, with, a, with, a, with a really special background we're working on and some other things so that the, we give you the most pleasant and enjoyable and most engaging and live feeling that you, if you're not here physically, as if you're here, hopefully it'll be so much clearer and so much more pleasant. Okay. With that being said, I want to thank God for enabling this to happen. For years already, I was troubled that, you know, we can we can get this better, and we tried this, and we tried that. But this time, we went all out to get the best of the best. I got my fancy mic over here. 
This is like, you know, the Joe Rogan mic, Ben Shapiro mic. This is like really, really fancy stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. And it was really created. All this technology was created for to teaching these these godly teachings. So the Chaim and the Bracha, from the dedication of my system over here to the dedication of the third temple. Anyways, we are holding now in the class number six in this discourse of Pada B'Shalom Nafshi from the Mitla Rebbe in the book of Shari Tshuva, page 110. I did two classes on this this week and we did three classes the last three Thursday nights. This is the fourth class of a Thursday night, but it's the sixth class in total. And I'm gonna we're gonna finish the discourse with Hashem's help tonight. Um, here we go. So the last thing we were learning was that there is various different levels of revel, of of the uncut the, the the bringing forth and revealing the the soul. There is the more external parts of the soul, and then the deeper parts of the soul. And depending on which level of soul one reveals inside, in other words, depending on what level of love to God we can we can bring forth, if it's from the more limited powers of our soul or from the more encompassing powers of our soul or from the essence of our soul and the ultimate when we can uncover the essence of our soul and the love of god and our drive in our in our in our observances and our connection and our and our fulfillment of our purpose of life is coming from our essence our essence is exposed the deeper impact it has on the on the superficial external unholy self we call the enemy within us the part of us that's fighting and blocking our godly side so the deeper we go within the exposure and the revelation of our essence of our soul the deeper and the more powerful is the transformation of the unholy when we reach our yechida we learned then the the unholy becomes cancelled inherently we learned that there's two ways of canceling something. You can cancel something by defeating it, by beating it up till it's quiet. Then you can cancel something by overpowering it that it gets shocked. Like in the case where we said you you cancel a little bit of bitter water in a whole lot of in a big tank of delicious fresh water. So then it gets canceled. But when it gets canceled, it really hypothetically was not canceled. Because hypothetically, if you take out all the fresh water, you're back. And you separate it. If you would have a machine that can separate the the the, the cup of bitter water from the from the from the big tank of fresh water, you're, it inherently didn't change on a cellular level. It didn't change. But the deepest transformation is if you can actually change the very makeup, the cellular makeup of the of the bitter water. That's not bitter anymore. Like when Moshe threw the stick in, he transformed the bitter water into sweet water. So can we ever take our the essence of our animal soul and transform it? Yes, we can. That happens when we reveal our our essence of our godly soul. Once the essence of our godly soul is revealed, it it knocks out the animal soul completely in its essence. Because what's the essence of the animal soul? Its essence is what? The godly soul's essence is God. What's the essence of the animal soul? That it's what? In essence, it's against God. It doesn't have that. So its essence is very weak. The animal soul gains momentum 
the more it goes out of its essence, the more it reveals itself. It's like a being that has no substance, but yet it can create intense emotions and drives and even philosophies. But if you strip away all of that and you get to its essence, it's 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 not that there is no klipa there. There's no unholiness. It's very, very weak. Like we learned in the last class that the keser of klipa, the crown of klipa, dissolves into holiness very, very easily. The more power, the lower features of the of the klipa, the the the, the chachma, the bina, the das, the, the the emotions of the klipa, and finally the malchut of the klipa. That's where the real power of the klipa is. So the real power of the klipa is in the external, in its in its external element. The real power of holiness is in its essence. Holiness is much stronger in its essence than in it, than in its expression. Kalipa is very strong in its expression, but not in its substance. So when you peel away everything and you and you and you expose just the substance of it, it's identityless. There's nothing really there. So the moment you uncover your godly soul, at its essence, the klipa has no other choice but to reveal its essence, and its essence is nothing. It melts into the truth of the divine instantly. It's so amazing. And that's called. I've redeemed my soul in peace. That's called redemption in peace. Because once you reveal that level, there's no more opposition at all. That's what we were learning. So now let's see it inside. And this is the concept of the Padia, the 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 redeem the the being redeemed, like it says, nafshi, I redeemed in peace my soul. Like we say in Baruch Shama, we say, Baruch, blessed is he, Pode, the one who redeems, Umatzel, and he saves. That the godly soul becomes, is saved, from its opposition of its animal soul. And the way it happens that the godly soul is saved from the animal soul, it happens, in the means of peace. Without a war. Because the the opposing force packs its bags, becomes essentially nullified. Canal without a war, it just disintegrates. It just it just collapses within itself, and that's the highest level. and like happened by the Alter Rebbe when the Alter Rebbe revealed the truths of Chasidus, all the opposition just disintegrated instantly. It just wasn't there. The Alter Rebbe said when he was redeemed, nafshi. And like we told the story about the Mitla Rebbe, he put on the Strymal and he re- and he came out shining like a godly angel. And the other side lost its mouth. It just could. That sounds a little bit more like the overpowering, the shock and awe, as opposed to the essence. But obviously in the Mitla Rebbe's redemption, the one who authored this mimer, it also was the revelation of essence. And to that, no one can stand and oppose anymore. Now in our own, and, and we also find in our own soul another verse that expresses this level of, of, of becoming freed from all clippus, from all the shells that are fighting us and allowing our, ourselves to be able to live freely our godly existence. We say it every night before we go to sleep. Masha kasov biyatcha afkid ruhi. So the last verse we say in the bedtime Shema before we go to sleep every night, before we say the blessing of Hamapil, 
there is a, a verse that we say, Biyatcha, in your hand, Afkid Ruchi, I am bestowing, I am, I am, I am uh, giving you as a, as a, as a uh, to, I'm giving you to, um, when a person gives something to, for someone else to hold on for them. So what's the right word for it? Safekeeping, yeah. So we're saying, Biyatcha, we say to God, in your hand, Afkid, I am bestowing for safe for safekeeping ruchi my spirit and then we continue padisa icy you have redeemed me so he's going to connect the end of the verse that you have redeemed me to the beginning of the verse in your hand i have i have bestowed my soul what's the connection you see the acronym of the words the acronym of the words spells the word be'er, the first letters spell the word be'er. Be'er means the wellspring. So what you're really saying is, God, I'm exposing my spring of deep waters. What's that? I'm allowing the essence of my soul to sh- to, to come forth. Like a, like a person digging forth a spring. I'm finding the essence of my being, allowing the, the, the waters of my soul, the divine waters of my soul to, to surface. That's meaning biyatcha afked ruchi. I'm, 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 before you go to sleep at night, you kind of, you know, push away all externalities, all superficialities, even holy superficialities. Move that all the way. It's almost like the last moment at night is where the first moment in the morning meet. The first moment in the morning when you wake up and you say, I acknowledge you, God. I thank you, God. It's coming from your essence. It's not sophisticated. It's not, it's not, I appreciate, I understand. I, 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 it's nothing. It's just pure essence to essence. So the last, when you go to sleep at night, you're also closing your day from your essence. Once you reveal your essence, be'er, then what? Padisa isi. Then you're automatically redeemed. Because there's no opposition to that level of soul. Kaniskaliyal, as we say, shuhumasiris nefesh Which this idea of be'er, of, of, this, of this spring of, of that we reveal, it means the spring of my soul in which I belong to you completely, God. I am yours. That's the Mesiris Anefesha Atzmi. That's the essential um, sacrifice. Kaniskalel, as we said earlier. Shalze Omar, and then the, on this level, we say, Padisa Isi, you have redeemed me. Min Hachitzainim, from the external um, forces, Bederech Shalem, in, 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 in a way of peace. Beloy Mulchama, there's no more war. Kimizbatlim Lagamri, because from this level of truth, from this level of identity, the unholy self, the unholy, the impure side becomes nullified completely. Zausha Amar, Zausha Kasav, he says in the parentheses, the Adaita, you will know, Kishalom Ohalecha, you will know that your, that your tent is peaceful, that there's peace in your tent. What does that mean? You'll know that there's no more. It's like sometimes a person has confrontation in their own home. Sadly, inside our own self, we have confrontation. That you will know that there is peace in your tent means that there is a deep, complete synchronization taking place in a person's entire psyche. And there's nowhere within the person himself where there is conflict. And there's another verse that says, Let there be peace in your cities. This is all referring to this level. Shalva, tranquility, in your palaces. And all these verses, they're all indicating the same level, this same level, and this that it says, 
And there's a lot of peace to your children. Same idea means that your children, the Jewish people, reach a level of peace. There's no more opposition against them because they have revealed their essence. Now, particularly, it's referring to Torah scholars. It says this verse, Bonayich are your children, but it also means the sages say, don't read it your children, but read it Bonayich, those who construct and those who build the world through Torah. And it says over there, that the Torah scholars increase peace in the world. Why? Because Torah also reveals this divine truth. Torah doesn't go and argue. Torah is not debating with the unholy. Torah is the revealing the essence of the godliness of everything. So once you reveal its divine truth, the klipa automatically disintegrates without having to argue it out. Also, this that the sages say that when um, when um, uh, that when a person, um, whoever is osek Torah, I think, whoever studies Torah, maybe oh, I think that whoever os- it was whoever studies Torah and is osek begemilas chasadim, and and is engages in 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 gemilas chasadim, in in acts of kindness. I think that's what the beginning of this passage is. They make peace in the higher abode and in the lower abode. So this is the same idea. In other words, the real peace means not just that there is there is a ceasefire. Ceasefire, see, they're all calling for ceasefire. Ceasefire is not the idea because you still have an enemy. And any moment, you have to keep on watching your back. What kind of ceasefire? Ceasefire, I'm not going to fire now, but when I walk through your neighborhood, I have to watch that you're not going to creep up behind me, God forbid, with a, with a and, not, and, and God forbid, knife me from the back. That's not ceasefire. Ceasefire is there's no more enemy anymore. So the, re- the the manner in which we can reach a point where there is no more enemy at all. I'm talking about here. He's talking about the internal enemy, but the internal is 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 a the the, the micro is a reflection of the of the of 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 the macro, or the macro is dependent on the micro. So when we achieve this level of peace within within ourselves, we cause that to happen in the world as well. When we can uncover this quintessential yechida level of our soul that is inherently surrendered to God, it's not excited about serving God. It just inherently is nullified in front of Hashem completely. So when we reach that level, then the, then we learned in the last class, then God is revealed inside of you. Because once the essence of the person doesn't conceal God, that's where God is. And where God is, the old klipa melts like wax melts before a flame. Because that which stands in opposition becomes essentially nullified. The ain't sadich mochama klal, and you don't need a war at all. So, and, and, and there's, and there's, now he's going to say there's two, two ways in which we accomplish this. One is by, Loving God with all your might, which we'd explained, meaning uncovering this depth of soul, uncovering this deep, deep depth of soul, the essence of our soul. And the second manner in which something like this can be could be accomplished is that the enemy just completely disintegrates is when we purify the world through Torah study. It's like, it's amazing. What, what does it mean? The Torah discusses what is pure, what is impure, what is 
what is what is innocent, what is guilty, what is valid, what is invalid, what is kosher, what is not kosher. Now, with the way kosher, the Torah does that is it's not arguing with any of the dark forces of the world. It's not a debate and yelling at them. The Torah is just revealing the truth. The Torah is just telling it as it is. When the Torah says, this is the truth, automatically that happens in the world. Torah has dominion over the world. So the way the Torah separates and 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 and, and strengthens what is good and weakens that's what's that's what's whole, unholy. It's not through battling with it. In prayer, for instance, we confront the forces of darkness directly. We argue with them. We feel our own silly, evil inclination, and we have to argue with them. We have to debate it, and we have to convince ourselves that living a godly life. Is 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 the truth and and more and 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 something that is more um, deserving than than living an empty an empty meaningless superficial existence. But it, but it's a war. It's an argument. But when we study Torah, we weaken the unholy side without even arguing. We just state the truth. So it's similar to this idea that we're learning about over here. That it's without. It's a victory, but with peace. The Torah has the power of Chachma. The power Torah is rooted in divine wisdom. And the Zohar says that the power of Chachma does the Birur. Birur means does the purification from good and evil. What the Torah does is it exposes what's right and what's and the Torah exposes at a, at a core essential level what is incorrect. And once the Torah reveals it at it as a in its in its essence, once the essence is exposed, the essence of unholiness, it disintegrates immediately. And like it's going to be when 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 Mashiach comes. In the future times, it says the reason why all all evil will disintegrate in the days of Mashiach. And that's because it's because the verse says all flesh will see truth. We're going to have the clarity of Chachma. There's going to be a vision of Chachma, which means Chachma sees the, in other words, the, 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 in other words, see, Bina and the, and, and the, and the, and the lower, lower powers of the soul, they're already a translation a, a a limited translation of 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 truths, because bina is to appreciate something w- through the lens of our own perception. Bina is our is an understanding limited to our perception. Achma is seeing truth as truth is, not limited to our perception. So when you get to see the truth the way it is in essence, that's the beauty of Chachma. It reveals it as it is, not not softening it, not 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 adjusting it to our understanding, but allowing it to be in its full truth. When we will be able to see the world in its full truth, so we will see the godliness of creation, we will also see the essence of whatever is not godly. And what's the essence of what not of what's not godly? Void and nothingness. So then automatically. We will see it's it being we will see it for what it really is, just one big fluff of a lie. 
And once it is exposed for being one big empty lie, it just, it just poof, it just dis- disintegrates. You don't have to argue with it. It just inherently collapses. And as it also says, it will be known, and I'm sorry, every being will know that you created it. Now, when was there a time when such truth was so clear that you didn't have to argue and debate? You didn't have to argue and debate at all. The holy didn't have to debate with the unholy. In the days of King Solomon, was the only time in history that we came close to this level. Where what was true and what was real was so conspicuous and so clear that all the forces of evil just, it wasn't like Mashiach. Mashiach is going to be, they disintegrate completely. But over there, they were so silenced and so muted because truth was so powerful. Because Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, with his wisdom and with his godly, godly imbued him, God imbued inside of him such a radiance of truth that truth was 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 felt across the entire globe. And anybody that was presenting and believing in and holding on to falsehoods was simply ashamed with their with their with their lies. They couldn't even bring it to say it. So they were still holding on to it, but they were hiding with it. That's why it wasn't Mashiach. When Mashiach will come is that no one will even be able to hold on to their lies anymore. In other words, the liar will be so, so aware that they're lying, that, 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 that the lie will collapse in, in, in their own mind, it will disintegrate. It's like we're living in the world today. You see liars, and you're so clear that they're lying, but you, you know that they're the only ones who don't realize they're lying. But the next step is that they themselves are going to feel how ridiculous it is that they're lying. And as they're saying, the, as they're spewing the lies, it's going to be so clear to themselves that they're spewing lies and they're going to be embarrassed to stand in front of the TV camera and say the lies because it's going to be so evident and it's going to disintegrate completely. That's the step of Mashiach. Shlomo Melech is one step, clo- it's a step before this. All the nations, all the wise men of the world, they became essentially nullified in front of the wisdom of Shlomo. In other words, all the scientists and all the, 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 the philosophers and the thinkers in the days of Shlomo who had various different ideologies and philosophies, but when Shlomo Melech opened his mouth, everybody was muted. They were silenced. Without having to debate, without having to wage war against these foreign, foreign ideas. That's why he was called Solomon. Because it was peace in his days. So we go out of the parentheses over here, which isn't the case when it's still, when we're defeating the unholy through war. Where, where, what was it? What was the time when the Jewish people were fighting? King, King David was fighting wars physically and spiritually. But another time when we were still fighting a war, when godliness, when God was fighting the forces of the unholy, when the Jewish people were in the desert, they were. Tr- it says that the reason they traveled 40 years in the desert was because the desert represents, is the headquarters of the satanic forces. They're rooted in the desert. That's why in the desert is a place full of snakes and scorpions and so on and so forth. So that which is evil lives in the desert. 
And um, so when the Jewish people traveled, 2 million Jews, primarily the 600,000 men, which are the 600,000 root souls, together with Mo Moshe, Moses, and Aaron, together with the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, they were such a powerful force of, God, of, of, of holiness. And as they traveled through the desert, they were blazing their way with the most powerful ammunition and blasting the forces of evil. Had the Jewish people not sojourned through the desert, for four, marched through the desert for 40 years, we would be dealing with powers and forces of evil in the world that would be inconquerable. We see how strong they are today, even with that conquest. Imagine what it would have been had they not have been destroyed, had they not have been so severely damaged during those 40 years. How do we know that when the Jewish people were traveling through the desert, the verse scripture doesn't describe that there is a major war going on over there. It just says they're traveling. So it says that whenever the, they traveled, Moses, Moshe would cry out, Kuma Hashem, get up God, and your enemies will scatter. Even though there were no enemies, but it's referring to the spiritual enemies and the, the, the snakes and scorpions that were in the desert. So they were all killed. That's what it says. So, even though we weren't doing battle with them, we weren't literally fighting with them. However, we still needed to do an action of scaring them. The mere fact that we marched in the desert, they were becoming so frightened and they shriveled and they ran into their holes. And that's the meaning of Kuma Hashem, get up God, and your enemies will scatter. But what do we see? There's still an enemy. It's just that the enemy is scattering. So there's a war going on it. Shasa Messias at the time of the travels, the Nesoya, or in when the when the when the when the when the ark traveled. The gam even though that like the way they were like scattering or falling was like wax melts in front of a fire. They will be they will be destroyed. Your enemies of God will be destroyed. However, they're still called the enemies of God. They're being destroyed, but they're enemies. When they take their last breath, they're still enemies, which means they're not flipped over. They're not converted. They're not. They've become subdued completely. So much so strongly that their entire substance gets broken. But the means of, of peace much deeper happens. It's not that they are, that the enemy is subdued, but rather the enemy disintegrates completely and he becomes a friend. They become absolute friends. The, the person, the force that was opposing you yesterday becomes flipped over completely. It doesn't become any, it's no more an enemy of God. Which means, in other words, that our evil inclination after Mashiach comes will not cease to exist. It will become an ally to serving God. The only evil inclination we will have is something that will get us madly excited to doing things that we would that we need chutzpah for to do. And the evil inclination will, will be able to kick in and get us to do that.
the evil inclination will make us a little arrogant to go ahead and take stands for things that we generally were shy and timid. The evil inclination will make us be obsessed with things like in which we need to be doing. So I'm saying the evil inclination will become completely on the side of holiness. Um, and therefore it doesn't have to be destroyed. On the contrary, in the days of Mashiach, God says, I will convert the nations, which means no one will oppose from the nations. And they will flock to Jerusalem, all the nations, and they will flock to Mashiach to learn by him Torah and the like. And it also says that foreigners will stand up and they will they will tend to your flocks. That was in the olden days when people's um when people's um people's uh, uh livelihood was the flocks of, of sheep that they had, flocks of cattle. So when it said when it, you're trying to explain in in in, in ancient terms what it's going to be like Mashiach, <coughs> it says that foreigners are going to take care of your flocks. We have to now translate that and, and modernize it. In today's world, how what does it mean that the that the nations of the world will do whatever they can to assist the Jewish people to be able to study Torah and serve God and say, whatever it is that you need to take care of, it's on us. So that you can learn and continue and study and gain more divine wisdom. And then you can teach us of the of the divine wisdom that you know. And as it also says, that kings will be your, will raise your children, will be your babysitters, for your children. So your flocks and your family members will be taking care of kings and noblemen. So what are we seeing? It's describing a situation where the nations of the world that throughout history were anti-Semites and in many ways were standing in opposition. Now they become your best friends. Take a look at Mile in, in Argentina, the new president-elect in Argentina. He's the best friend of the Jewish people. And he's an, even a fan of Mashiach. He goes to the OL. He comes. He, in his first, his inauguration speech to Argentina, he's talking about by divine prov- providence, it's Hanukkah that I am now inaugurated. What in the world? Okay? It's because he's already, he's already living in the days of Mashiach. At least one president is flipped already. Flipped over. His first trip that he made after he became the, 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 the president-elect of Argentina, his first trip was to Israel. It was first to the Rebbe, to come see the Rebbe in, 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 in the, at the Rebbe's re, uh, resting in, in, at the OL. And from there, he, he's going, he went to Israel to give strength to the Jewish people. Unbelievable. And you're talking about Argentina, which harbored Nazis after the... After. Talk about a flip, a flip. And believe me, Argentina is the first. You are going to see nation after nation flip. And this resistance, this everybody can see the lies. Anything that's left over is just a bunch of liars that, that are taking the Palestinian side and you know making the last attempt to still to still fight against the Jewish people, against 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 God's will in this world. But it's gonna, it's it's any moment it's just gonna. The, the the evil is going to collapse and it's going to flip over. And by way of analogy, when a person leaves from his enemy, but in a way of peace, where the enemy is not an enemy anymore, 
the, the person who was your enemy suddenly became your friend. Why? Because something happened that, he, that the enemy became completely disintegrated in front of. Where do we have an example like that? What kind of example of that? Kedugma, an example. When Jacob, when, when Yaakov, Jacob is coming back after his brother's parting words, that I'm, which, he, which he said 20 years earlier, or actually 35 years earlier, Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm waiting for the moment that I can kill my brother because he stole my blessings. For 35 years later, Abraham is, I mean, Jacob is coming back. Yaakov is coming back. He sends messengers to Esau because he wants to see, he wants to test the waters. He finds out that Esau is coming with 400 murderers. Literally 400 terrorists are with him. And they literally want to kill and murder every single member in Yaakov's family. Eradicate the Jewish people with, with anti-Semitism you've never seen. It's like, it's like on steroids. And, and then Yaakov gets closer and closer. And finally, the, the moment of the meeting happens. He runs towards him. And, and we know that at that moment, Esau's wrath was like kindled, like unbelievable. He was at the moment. And yet, Yaakov bows down to him seven times. And when they, and when they, and when they meet, Esau suddenly starts sobbing. His entire evil that was, that, was, that, was, that was building, his wrath, his anger that has been simmering inside of him for all this time, just suddenly dissolve. He embraces his brother, falls on his, on his neck, and both of them weep, and he kissed him. What happened? The magic of transformation. Because Yaakov at that moment revealed his Jewish essence. The essence of Yaakov is the divine spark that's in him. And when you are faced with divinity, with the pure truth of God, even the biggest, darkest thing just melts in front of it. That's what happened. Why did that happen at that moment? Because that was the moment that Yaakov was in Mashiach's territory. Until that time, Yaakov is not yet in the days of Mashiach. He's, he's outside. He's still living in exile. That's why Esau is still an enemy. The moment Yaakov arrives in Mashiach territory, into the world of Mashiach, which means his essence is revealed, then Esau's essence is also revealed. And his opposition to holiness disintegrated. And that's what he's saying over here, which happened in Yaakov when his brother Esau. Like it says, the that Esau ran towards him, and then suddenly, unexpectedly, he kisses him. In the beginning, it says, now before he meets Esau, what happens? He wrestles with a man. And we know what the, what the Midrash tells us. All night long, he's, Yaakov is wrestling. So there, he's meeting someone who's not kissing him. Quite on the contrary, someone who wants to hurt him. And they're wrestling all night long, a fierce battle. And the sages tell us that that was the ministering angel of Esau. Which means that first there is this, we can't arrive to the peaceful moment with the, with the enemy. First, we have to wage war. So the Jewish people do that for thousands of years with the forces of darkness in the world. After the war, you can reach and be elevated to a higher level that the enemy can be transformed. So after Yaakov fights all, all night long, wrestles with a, in a ferocious battle with the angel, and he prevails over him, forces him, forces him to his knees, then Esau, once that was subdued, 
Now, when Yaakov meets Esav, Esav is has has now because now it it's not it's not and it's not like a consequence of the battle. It's a new level. First, he goes through that stage, and then Yaakov graduates to a much higher level. He uncovers within himself a deeper dimension. Maybe it has to do with the fact that the angel himself told him, you will be called Israel, no more Yaakov. Israel means you're above the world. Sarisa Melokim, you're above the forces of nature, which means your pure divine essence is revealed. Once that was exposed, then Esau is no more fighting it. Esau just, as we said earlier, flips over and becomes his ally. First it says that he was waging war with him. That's the ministering angel. After he prevailed against him, so automatically he became his friend. And that's why he kissed him. And therefore, this fellow called Amasa says to David, to you, David, shalom, shalom, peace, peace. Yeah. I don't know the story exactly there. One of the stories of regarding King David. However, now we still need to understand. So if the enemy is no more enemy, if you achieve a situation where your enemy just dissolves an internal enemy inside the person is no more, the evil inclination is no more fighting. So why does it say Pada was redeemed? Why do you need redemption? Now, so your simple answer is because a moment before, Esau is coming with 400 men. So the way you get out of it is instead of fighting and having to fight with him and, and pummel him and beat him up, beat him to a pulp, and then you're gonna and then Yaakov can walk away happy. No, that's not what happened. There is a confrontation gonna happen. But the so and you, therefore he needs Pada, he needs to be redeemed. He needs the redemption. But how does it happen? Bishalim and peace. The energy, the enemy comes out waving a, a white flag, like you're watching a lot of Hamas guys coming out not surrendering. Instead of having to, you know, fight the, the, the battle to the very end, there's literally thousands and thousands of terrorists now su- surrendering. It's, it's beautiful. But according to that, the, 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 the redemption, <coughs> the redemption itself is not, is not in peace. Because <coughs> the moment there's peace, you don't need redemption anymore. Redemption means that you're being redeemed of something. If it's Bishalim, if the guy is not fighting with you anymore, so then what's why you need redemption? If we say that the Pada is referring to a moment before the battle is over, a moment before the enemy, excuse me, before the enemy raised the white flag, then I understand. Pada, you need to be redeemed. But the moment there's already Bishalim, the enemy's already waving the white flag and in complete surrender. And not only that, he's willing to assist you to become your friend. So then why are you still talking about Pada? What's the redemption? There's no more redemption necessary. We need to understand 
Why do you need a redemption? Since there's no more opposing force. Which we mentioned earlier. He redeems and, and he saves. I don't know what the problem with that is. There it doesn't say in peace. I'm not sure. And it says in the Pasuk, And the, 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 those who are redeemed by God, Yeshuvin, are going to return in the days of Mashiach. So hold it. Why are they called the, those who are redeemed by God if in the days of Mashiach no one is going to be opposing anymore? So why do they need to be redeemed? If we're talking about the hostages that are now in Gaza, and we are saying Hashem, that the, those who God redeems, Yeshuvin, they'll return. That seems to imply that God has to redeem them. A miracle has to happen. God has to extract them from Gaza, from the clutches of Hamas. And then they'll return to the land of Israel. But if we're saying now that Mashiach's coming involves that there's no more opposition, Everybody becomes the friend. So then who needs to be redeemed? There's no more, no one is holding any hostages anymore. Like Israel keeps on saying, if you, you know, to the to the other side, if 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 they want to, if they if they want this war to end, they have an option. Surrender, return all the hostages, and 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 uh, and, and 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 accept our terms. Accept our terms. Fire tickets over. But and, and then and then it would be over. From the fact that it's saying over here, we know that in the days of Mashiach there, there, there is going to be peace. So why are they still called the re, those who are redeemed by God? Implying that there still has to be a padia. Same same question. There still has to be a padia. There still has to be a redemption, even when there's no enemy anymore. What is it? The idea is as follows. Because of the root that the unholy has a somewhat of a plug-in into holiness, we know the unholy doesn't have any energy on its own. Everything it steals from holiness. So the unholy has a little bit of a, of a, of a plug-in. It plugs into holiness. And for that reason, for that reason, something has to be given to them, a small thing, in order for them to let go. It's very, it's a little cryptic what he's saying over here. I was having a hard time when I was reading this. I did not prepare this today. I looked this over a while ago. And I remember I was having a hard time. And what it seems like he's saying a little further is as follows.
general, let's first understand generally what Pidyon means. Pidyon means a redemption. So the way you usually work with a redemption is happens through ransom money. You give ransom money. That means if you have, if someone has held someone in captivity, you bring them money and the money is satisfactory, is satisfactory to the, to the, to the captors, they'll release the captive. So the same concept exists in the spiritual realms. Not in the days of Mashiach now. Let's talk about regularly. When the forces of evil are still existing and they're still bad. So we know that sometimes they hold on to to certain powers of holiness. Certain energies which they're holding on to. Whether it's it's hostages, like in the case in Israel. Or whether it's spiritual energies that they're holding on to. Souls, sometimes they're holding on to souls. Sometimes they're holding on to, you know, just forces of of deposits of energy that is given to them. When we, especially through sin, we give them power. When we want them to relinquish that powers that they're holding on to, we have to give them something in exchange. And that's called ransom. So we know the ritual on Yom Kippur that we take a goat and we when we cast it down a very, very sharp cliff. It's called Sa'ir La'azazel, the scapegoat. Take it and we throw it. What is the meaning to it? The meaning to it is like this. Attached to that goat is a certain spiritual, godly light power. When we give them the goat, we're actually empowering the satanic forces. Why would we be doing that? Because we want them to let go of something that is more precious and valuable that they're holding on to but they will not let go of it unless we give them something in exchange. And it's a, it's a good exchange. We're getting in this sense much more than we're giving up. We take the goat. The goat was once part of the temple service. It once stood before God. So in the spirit of this goat, there is enormous godly energy in, in it, but it's considered only a tiny crumb in compared to all that the unholy has stolen through the sins of the Jewish people all year long. They have enormous amount of energy and they're not going to retract it. But God forces them to give it back because when we do tshuva, we are, but they won't let go. They're still holding on to it until we give them a candy. It's like a dog who, while you're having a barbecue, ran away with the ribs. Okay, so you got these delicious ribs and you're ready to, you're ready to throw them on the thing. And the dog ran away with the ribs. And the dog is not willing to give it back. So what do you do? You take a bone. Maybe it's got a tiny bit of meat on it. You throw it to the dog. The dog drops the, the, the packet of the ribs, runs to get that, and you can retrieve your ribs. Simple, simple metaphor. That's the story. So that's the way Pidyon usually works. Sometimes you need to give the other side something in order for it to let go. Now, this concept exists only as long as evil is remaining evil. In the days of Mashiach, this doesn't exist anymore because evil itself was transformed. The unholy, the nations joined the Jewish people. All of them, even those that were evil. Not everybody in the nations are evil, but even those that were evil join Israel and join the godly, the God, like we said earlier. They'll be supportive. They'll be helping the economy. They'll be doing whatever they can to support. 
evil inclination becomes good. Esau becomes Yaakov's buddy. So, the, so what is the idea of Pada? Who do we have to redeem? So the Rebbe is saying there is still a concept of redemption. We want to give to the to what was once the other side. Listen to this. We want to give to what was once the other side something so that they leave a little space between us and them. Although they have become holy. Why? The answer is, since they're latched onto holiness, they've hooked themselves up and latched onto holiness. When holiness is going to be going all the way, all the way, all the way in to the deepest point, that which was once unholy that now was converted into holiness also feels that it is part of that party. And it also wants to go all the way, all the way in. And that doesn't work. In other words, there's a certain place after Mashiach comes, certain moments where the Jewish people will be intimate with God. It's not for the nations. The Jewish people will bring tremendous illumination to the nations, tremendous light, more than can ever imagine, and light and blessings and everything. But there is a temple moment where God says, now it's for Israel. If the non-Jews are holding on and they don't want to let go, it's a problem. So something has to be given to create a separation. The same is also the animal soul. The godly soul works so hard to transform the animal soul. And, it, and then the animal soul gets transformed and comes along for the ride. But when the godly soul goes into the holy of holies, the animal soul is told, is told wait over here. Like, it's like Abraham says to, to Yishmol and, 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 and Eliezer, Eliezer is his trusted servant. Wait over here together with the donkey. Me and Yitzchak are going up there. There's certain places where the unholy can't come along. But the problem is they've, they're, they're attached to holiness. So you have to give them something to keep them busy for a while that they should allow holiness, that which, which always was holiness, to experience the fullest of what it needs to experience. And not always is everything that was once unholy and that was converted, your enemy that, becomes, that became your friend isn't necessarily invited to your most, to your to the party of you and your most best friends, even though they're now one of your buddies. Everything has its has its thing. And that's the concept of still having a. That's the concept of still having a padilla. That's the concept of still having a pada. Something is necessary to separate. That's how I understand what he's saying. Let's read it inside. Because the side of Klippa of unholiness is holding on to the side of Kedusha, you have to give them some kind of a ransom, which is a small thing, in exchange for something bigger. Like it says that every person should give a half a coin. So you give a little and, it, and it's a certain atonement. The same is also by a, 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 a Jewish maidservant. It says, If you do not marry her, you should redeem her. What does that mean? 
The godly soul is called the daughter of the king, the princess. And that's the meaning when a person sells his daughter, when God sell, sells the godly, the godly soul. is amazing. When it says a person sells a daughter, it talks about a whole story over there. It means when God is the father, sells his daughter for a maidservant, what does that mean? That she is sent down to rectify the animal soul. That's the point that she sold to be a maidservant. And what's the point? So she can convert the animal soul. Yet, it says over there, she should not go out like the servants go out. When her time is over, she shouldn't leave like the servants go out. The deeper meaning is, in other words, the godly soul, when it returns back to her union with God, it returns on a much deeper level than the no God, than the elements of Klippa that she is converting. They also come out of their darkness, but she is a piece of God. So her return is much deeper. She should not go out like the servants go out. Just because she's hanging out in the servants' quarters, just because the princess is hanging out amongst the servants, the servants might believe that she's a slave like anybody else. She's a princess. She doesn't go out like they go out. When they go out, they go out only to a certain level. She goes out much higher. That's the meaning. Ella biyud. How does she go out? By marrying the master. That means God marries the soul. It's his daughter first. But then when she's sold as a slave, as a maid, meaning to, to transform our animalistic soul, as a result of our work in the darkness, our soul becomes elevated to be able to become God's wife. Full, complete intimacy. Oi, or he, oi pedia. Or the other thing he can do is either marry her or he has to redeem her. What does the redemption mean? He has to pick her back up and take her back to, to him. God has to take the soul back to, to its sublime residence. But the reason why he has to give a redemption, redeem her from the slavery, is because her company should not come along with her. The animal soul should wait on the outside. Because if the animal soul will come inside to the same place where the godly soul, the animal soul doesn't have the vessels to be able to experience the, ele the elegance of the godliness. Because the animal soul is a peasant. So it's true, it's beautiful when the peasant is part of the party, but the peasant is still a peasant. So you have to let the peasants still stay outside. You redeemed my soul. And a, 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 an example to that is when we send the goat, the scapegoat, he will redeem Israel. So here he gets a little clearer what he means. This redemption. Here, here's, see, till now it's not clear that his intention is what I'm saying now. I've been telling you the whole time is when we finally, even after the animal and even after all the dark things in this world are converted, there's still a difference between what was originally light and what was dark that was converted. What was dark that was converted has its limits of how far it can go in. And that's why you have to give money to redeem because you have to let them relinquish and let go 
the peasant thinks he became the best the best friend of the princess and he goes wherever she goes. So you have to let him know that when the when the princess is going in to marry the king, you stay outside. It's not your business to go inside into the bridal chamber. You stand back. It's beautiful. You're invited to the wedding. You can be over here. You can do everything. It's beautiful. But you have your place out here. And that's what he says over here. Pediyazu. It's that the animal soul should not completely attach itself to the godly soul. When she goes up above, the, the, the animal soul should not come along completely. The reason why we have to be so careful is because it says, peace, peace to those that are far and those that are close that we're really welcoming in the foreigner who becomes close. Someone who was distant and now he becomes close, we're welcoming in. But when you welcome him, he still needs to realize his limits. But through the peace, which is an attachment during the, for, for, for a short period, in other words, there is peace. When, when the godly soul transformed the animal soul, it's peace. So now it still needs, once there's peace, pada, you still have to do a padia. Why? Because when the godly soul goes up to become absorbed in the body of the king, the animal soul is not joining that. It stays outside. Levado ve'enzar ita. And a foreigner does not go along with Dailamev. So there will be experiences after Mashiach comes that's for the Jewish people alone, not for, for, for everybody to participate. And that's the idea of Padi. But you have to give, you have to give the, the 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 you have to give him something to entertain him. Meanwhile, you have to give him something really nice to be willing to stand. And not, and, and, and not push themselves in. And that's the idea of the Padilla. The dogma amiti This concludes the concept of Pada Bishali. Now he's going to go back to what he's been explaining earlier. What does it mean that when you reveal the essence of your soul, then there is no more trace of attachment towards when you reveal your true identity, your true godly identity, we're going back into the internal psychological experience. Where the where where the war is over, where the war is completely is completely um, finished. Why? Because the the unholy the clip has completely been disintegrated. When does that happen? We said when you reveal the essence of your godly soul. So he's going to give now an enormous example of people who have arrived to that level. Remember we learned earlier that Rav Shimon Bar Yochai was on that level. Chapter 9 we learned. He says, I've become one with God. But now he's going to give an, a, 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 the strongest example of people who have attained such a level of, of, godly, of godly revelation inside themselves and deep identification with their essence of their godly side Excuse me, till there is absolutely nothing left of their unholy side. The dogma amiti lebchenas mesiras nefesh be'etzem, and the truest example 
of the ultimate Mesiris Nefesh, of complete Mesiris Nefesh, She'en Yesurim Klal Beheder Kol Bahamas, where there is no more pain and inner conflict when you're depriving yourself of the material pleasures. Remember we learned, as long as a person is not fully transformed from their essence, so even if you have no drive anymore towards unholy things, and your drive is only a passion and drive is only for godly things, however, you still feel a little bit pain if you're lacking something in the material world. It still bothers a little bit. It still hurts a little. Because you still have a certain physical um, um, attachment. And therefore, it's possible that a lack in the basic material needs of a person causes the person discomfort and pain. But we learned a perfect tzaddik who has completely converted themselves that life itself for them is just this, their soul. The physical body is just completely canceled to their soul. And there's no content to physical life at all other than the soul. In that case, you feel no pain from anything in the material world. As long as it's not interfering with a mitzvah. If, 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 if I don't have wine for Kiddush, that really, really hurts. Why? Because it's a mitzvah to make wine. to make a. To, but if I don't have wine just because I'm enjoying, you know, I, I like to have a little l'chaim. I don't have that. That doesn't hurt them in the least bit. Why? Because they have no more affinity. They have no more appreciation. So what's the fullest example of this? He says something very extreme. Who are these? In Eonu Moitzim, we find We find by the ten martyrs, the ten tzaddikim. Kamoi Rabbi Akiva, like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, who was 120 years old at that time, he was being executed by the Romans in the most vicious way. They were combing his, his skin, combing his flesh, not his skin. They were combing his flesh with metal, with metal combs, with sharp metal combs, spikes. They were literally tearing his flesh off his body. How a person can experience such pain, I have no idea. And it says Rabbi Akiva was sitting there and his face was glowing. And he was saying the Shema, and his students who saw that he looked like he was just in the deepest level of satisfaction. And his students asked him, are you not aware what's happening? Why are you so comfortable? Why are you so tranquil? Why are you so at peace? You're going through the most agonizing experience. And Rabbi Akiva said, what are you talking about? My whole life I've been waiting. There's a mitzvah to give your life for the sanctification of God. My whole life, I've been waiting for this opportunity. And now that I'm finally there, I shouldn't revel in the moment. I'm reveling because this is the mitzvah I've been waiting for for my entire life. And now I'm finally there. This is like unbelievable. This is like Gavaldi. This is, this is heaven. But hold it. Wasn't there physical and excruciating pain? The answer is Rabbi Akiva's body was so nullified to his soul. His identity was so his godly self. And therefore, his only consideration in terms of living or not living, enjoy, pleasure and not pleasure, pleasure and pain was by him, his, his, his thermometer on pleasure and pain his, was, if I'm doing God's thing and fulfilling, giving satisfaction to God and to my creator, fulfilling my purpose, 
I'm in ecstasy. If I'm not fulfilling my purpose and I can't do a mitzvah, then that gives me pain. He didn't even have a tiny trace of another self. His body was completely subsumed by his soul. To the point that physically it was that way. So Rabbi Kiva experienced only physical sensations that were mitzvahs. But he had a physical sensation. It was, it was, the, it was the mitzvah of it that was, that, was, that was his enjoyment. The worst thing Rabbi Akiva can experience is a sin or something. That gives him enormous pain. Or anything uh, uh, that he can't do. But physical pain outside of it didn't exist by him. Now, it's possible Rabbi Akiva would have a headache and maybe it hurt his head. But here's the thing. If, if a certain event, the mitzvah is to die, in this case, the ultimate mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem is to give one's life up for the sanctification of God's name. That's the mitzvah. So then that can't cause pain because the, the pleasure and the delight of doing the mitzvah, that's what matters. So if there is, if there would be pain, it would be completely it doesn't even seem like it was canceled. It just didn't even exist because to Rabbi Akiva, reality is his attachment to God. That's his reality. That his soul went out when he was saying the word Echad. When he got to the Shema, he said the word Shema Yisrael because that's, that's, that's what the Jew says, the last words that goes out of his lips. Hear, O Israel, God is our God. God is one. And when Rabbi Akiva got to the word one, Echad, he was saying it very slowly. He was saying the word one, and then he passed away. Now what? He's going to say something really powerful soon. Even with the most craziest um, suffering. Of being ripped by combs of, of metal. He didn't feel any pain at all at this moment. Because when he was, how do you know he didn't feel any pain? Maybe he was in enormous pain. From the very fact that the sages say that he was saying the word echad long, as long as he can say it, he was, he was, he was extending the echad, meaning that he wanted to hold on to being alive longer. Now, when a person is going through such agony, the one thing you want is to die as fast as you can. The fact that Rabbi Akiva was holding on to life was because he wasn't in pain. He was in ecstasy. And if you're in ecstasy, you want to hold on to the pleasure. He was in such pleasure that he was, how is it possible? And the answer is, He was holding on to the Echad longer and longer until his soul would become absorbed in the oneness. And this is what Rabbi Akiva said, when will it come to my hand? When will I arrive? That's what he said. My whole life I've been waiting to fulfill this mitzvah. I want to know, I, I want to be able to give myself disintegrate completely in God. Rebbe Akiva wasn't sure if he really, really, really on the deepest level transformed himself completely. He wasn't sure. He doesn't know if if when he said every day, love God with all your might, he really reached that level of loving God with his entire being. 
that he has no other desires other than that. He was always worried that maybe there's still a little attack. So he said, I'm, all my life I'm waiting for a moment where I can give myself completely to God. And actually, and actually that would be the litmus test. If at the same time that he's experiencing the, the mysterious nefesh, and he's very happy, there was a part of him that's in pain, enormous pain. He's just ignoring it. That would mean he's not thoroughly one with, thoroughly identified with God. But because he became so thoroughly, this was a proof to him that he has reached the point that there was nothing left inside of him that was not godly. Totally doesn't feel any pain of the body. This is called peace. Like we said earlier, there's no two sides to the person. There's no two selves. There's no a godly higher self and a lower self. There's only oneness. Kiva didn't know if he was in that state until he would come to actual Mesiris Nefesh. Now he says it's not only Rabbi Akiva, it was all the ten martyrs, other nine of them that are mentioned in Yom Kippur's prayer, and we also mention it on Tisha B'Av. They didn't feel pain while they were being killed. Mina from their death, from their execution. Because their Mesiris Nefesh was with, was with joy and pleasure. Because of all the pleasures and delights and sensations of the world became utterly nothing in their minds. God became so the only reality that their entire physical existence was was completely absorbed and disintegrated into their spiritual selves, into their godly lives. So therefore, the only thing they can experience is the pleasure of the mitzvah and the unbelievable merit that they have to give their lives up on the, on the, on the, on the, on the sanctification of God's name. Because there's only one will inside of them. They don't have two wills. We all have two wills. There's a higher self that wants holiness and there's an, a lower self that enjoys physical existence and that the physical existence exists independently to a certain degree and therefore i enjoy when i have a physical sensation and i'm hurt when i have a a physical i mean a physical pleasurable sensation or i'm 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 i'm, I'm, I'm perturbed by the fact that i have a painful experience in my body but to people who have so lifted themselves up beyond the body the body becomes just an instrument for the soul and nothing else and this is the main quality of these people's Mesiris Nefesh, of their sacrifice. In this, these 10 people stand out more than all the other martyrs of Jewish history. Because all the other martyrs of Jewish history, although they gave their lives up, they experienced pain and it, and it was, there was conflict at the time of the, of the act. On the one hand, it's even more noble that despite that there's pain, they're still doing it. 
But what was so special about them, about these 10 martyrs, is that they were so one with the godly that there was nothing else experienced other than their oneness. Although there were many righteous individuals that were executed on the sanctification of God's name, however, only the ten martyrs, nobody can stand in their midst. There is no creature that can ever step into the level of where they are. They are in the inner, 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 deepest point, one with God. Why? That's what it says. As it says in, in, in Arizal, in the writings of the Ari, the mal and man la'aba ve'ima. It says over there, in a, we once read this passage years ago, where the Arizal says that the, that the reason why this had to happen, the 10 martyrs had to die, was because the exile was just starting. And we know that as a result of the mitzvot that we do, especially the sacrifices, which the Jewish people did in the time when the temple stood, they were elevating sparks of holiness. It's called raising of feminine waters. But when we're in exile and we're not so proficient in mitzvah observance, especially since we don't have sacrifices, sometimes our raising of feminine waters to God is very weak and it's almost non-existent. So it's like God is not receiving any stimulation from us below. And as a result of that, there is a danger that God will completely disengage from creation. Because what keeps God engaged in creation is the enjoyment of our love to him and our devotion to him. And that means we have to continuously give him, we have to continuously romance God into the relationship. And since there was a danger at that time that our work would be insufficient to continue bringing God's, to continue keeping God attracted to the world, we needed a type of arousing of feminine waters that will be so powerful that will last for 2,000 years. And this was the sacrifice of these. So instead of having the animal sacrifice, it was these 10 martyrs who reached such a level of, of love to God, such a consuming love, as we said, that there wasn't one fiber in their being that was not attached to God. That's the ultimate elevation. And so if God, and it says that that sacrifice is standing in heaven for 2,000 years already, continuously evoking Hashem's interest in creation. And that's why it had to happen. Ad Mashiach, until the days of Mashiach. As stated elsewhere. It's like they put the, inc- the, the incense on a pot and it's smoking, it's smoking the aroma for thousands of years. Their action. And this is what it means. So now he's, he's saying like this. this is, so this was the, a final piece to explain of what does it mean to reveal your Yechidah and therefore be in a state of peace because there's no more duality at all. 
You have redeemed my soul from my enemy. And also from, from the concept of war. There will not have to continue to have any krav, any type of battle and any type of war. Because at the time of a war, it creates a closeness at the time. Like the people who wrestle. It's called a war. So, initially we're all in a state that the conflict that exists between the holy and the unholy inside of us is in a manner of war. And sometimes it becomes so intense that the two sides of us have to literally wrestle with each other in the, in a manner where they're encircling one and the other. So they're getting very close. But this closeness is the opposite of peace. It's the most intense conflict. It's the most intense friction, like we studied in the beginning of the discourse. So what he's saying over here is, imagine us looking at our life now. When I look at my life, and we, you can look at your life, I think for most of us, We hope at least there is a battle. We hope we haven't thrown in the towel to the evil inclination that it completely dominates. So we hope at least we're fighting. So, But when we try to do godly things and do the good thing, there's always combat and there's and there's a war and there's a fight. But we know in any second, Mashiach is going to be here. So for you, we're going to go from one extreme to another extreme. From a moment of intense battle, to the point that the two are like, that means even when I'm trying to pray, for instance, and I'm trying to do something godly, negative, impure thoughts come into my head. And it's fighting with me and wrestling and back and forth. Sometimes I like want so much to serve and just learn Torah and do mitzvahs. And the gra- and, 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 but I'm so, but I experience so much of the opposite types of forces pulling me in the opposite direction. And the two of, and the two sides are, our, our hand-to-hand battle, and it's bloody. But yet we're saying, we are praying that momentarily the depth of our godliness will dawn upon us. We will suddenly experience such a deep identification with our spiritual godly side to the point that we will realize that we at the deepest core are God an extension of God in this world. And when that dawns upon us and we feel it in a very powerful way, then peace will be instantly. There's no more. So from a second before when it was Mikravli, a second later, peace and tranquility. Um, But in the end, it will be in a manner of peace. The Ma'od will reveal itself. It's the complete oneness with Hashem and 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 and, it, and being given over to God essentially. So the animal soul becomes inherently disintegrated. But gotta be careful. When the animal soul disintegrates from its unholiness, or as we spoke earlier, when all the nations of the world suddenly have a change of heart and everybody's best friends with the Jewish people, we still want to make sure that there's a little bit of a separation. 
it should not attach itself completely. Then you go back to the question. There's now, now the unholy becomes even closer than through war. Through the peace. However, this, this closeness is a real closeness because it's not close to take you down. He's not giving you his, his hand in order to grab you in a, in a headlock. He, he really wants to hug you. Like really good friends. One becomes integrated in the other. Even though we're getting so close and it's a real closeness. After the peace, the, the godly soul still keeps a distance from the animal soul. Why? Because the godly soul needs to be able to go back into oneness with God and the animal soul, because it's a peasant, cannot be at that, at that party. You see that with Yaakov and Esau. They kissed and then Esau says, okay, let's go together. And Yaakov says, thank you. You go ahead. I'm coming behind you. <laughs> he creates distance. Because God helps the godly soul extract itself from the animal soul. He gives another example. Avram says to Lot, Lot was pretty much a follower of Abraham. He was pretty much on the good side. Yet Avram says to him, separate from me. You go to the right, I'm going to go to the left. I go to the left, you go to the right. He parted no me And he says, because definitely, because the, the Midrash tells us that the archangel Michael, Michael, he offers the souls as a sacrifice in front of God. What does that mean? He lifts the souls up until they become absolutely unified with the infinite. So he says an amazing thing. When the souls are elevated to such a high absorption in God, the animal soul cannot go along. And that's the idea that we said earlier, pada. There's still an there still needs to be a padia, a separation. Loyis adev zar, somebody that's not of God, the godly soul is of God. The animal soul is an outsider who's getting close. So it can it can be close, but it still has to know its place. And definitely not the yeast, the Yetzirah itself has to stay with a little distance. So now we're going to start chapter 12, the last chapter. And over here, he's going to explain the significance of the meaning of the end of the verse. It says, nafshi, You redeem my soul in peace. And as we understand it now by revealing the deepest depth of the godly soul. And then the unholy becomes inherently nullified and even transformed. However, we still need the redemption to keep the two a little separated. Okay? And then what is the end of the Pasuk? It says, Kiberabim, because in the multitudes, Haya Imadi, he was with me. It says, you've redeemed. This is a verse again in chapter 55, in Psalm 55. You redeemed my soul in peace. Because with the majority, with the many, he was with me. 
So he's going to explain how the second half of the verse is actually explaining how we reached peace. Peace is very ideal. There should be no more enemy. How do you reach it? You reach it because you've revealed your yechida, your highest level of soul. The highest level of soul, believe it or not, is called birabim. Birabim in the many. Not the many, the in the many. What does it mean, the in the many? In the many means what is with inside the many. And what does it mean, what is with inside the many? Many means everything. Everything that there is. That's many. Who is inside the everything? The singular essence of God is inside the everything. And in the soul, it remains the essence of the soul. That's the essence of every part of the soul. The yechida is the essence of everything. You see, certain parts of soul are just, they're relegated just to their part. Certain emanations of God, for instance, relate to every world separately. I mean, there's certain revelations of Hashem that are in, in Atzilus, certain revelations of God that are in Bria, certain revelations of Hashem that are in Keter, higher, certain revelations of God that are in the world of Tohu, certain revelations of God that are in the world of Tikkun. But the essence of God is the underpinning of everything and everywhere. Same is in the soul. The essence of the soul is in everything and everything. So what we're saying is like this. How is my soul redeemed in peace? Because that which is in the Rabbim, which is the essence of the soul, which is the Yechida, was shining inside of my consciousness. In other words, when I can take usually this level of, of essence, although it's in everything, it's nowhere. Because no one can identify with it. No one can capture it. It's elusive. It's so essential. It's so hidden. It's like the jug, the jar of oil that the Jewish people found. The, the miracle of the first night of Hanukkah was the oil is so essence. It's impossible to find it. It's hidden. You can't. And yet they found it, which means the essence was revealed. But usually the essence is not revealed. It's hidden. It's so deep. It's everywhere, it's in everything, and yet no one knows it and no one has it. Besides, besides when? Besides by big tzaddikim, by the highest righteous people. By them, this level is imadi is with them. And when Mashiach comes, this is going to be revealed by everybody. We're getting so many notifications over here. Hold on one second. Here we go. Yud Beis. This is the big reason. On the beginning of his words. He says, He redeemed my soul in peace. And then he continues and explains. And he says, Why is it that I've achieved such a high level that there is no more opposition and, not, and, and that there is no continuous battle? And the answer is, Because in the Rabbim. What does it mean? That which is inside the many. What does that mean? The encompassing level of Yechida that is, is called encompassing because it encompasses everything. 
Shenikra Makiv Klali, it's called an all-inclusive Makiv. Shekoilo Lachala Makifim, it includes every Makif, Prati, because there are smaller levels of Makif. This is the Makif of all Makif. This is the encompassing of all encompassing. Upirish Birabim, and the meaning of Birabim means what is hidden very deep in the Rabim. Mashaganus Venelam, that which is hidden and concealed, Bitoich Rabim, inside the everything. That which is the most removed from experience, that which is the most removed from identification, because it's the essence of all essence. Shemakif al kol klulasam b'shava, and it and 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 it's equally removed from everybody and from everything, because no one can tap it. And not in, and not in a manner of you see, sometimes there's a level of makif, which means an encompassing power. That is different than every person. If, for example, we spoke earlier, there is the chai, the, the yechida and the chai. Chai is also an encompassing energy. It's also usually super conscious. And the reason it's, why? Because it's, it's, it's a, a type of drive, as we discussed earlier. It's, you're being driven to God with a love that supersedes one's mind. But that is, is by is 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 in every level by every person the chai is different because it's relative to the kaiches pinimim the internal power the makif the the encompassing is relative to the internal power but the yechida is essence the essence is by everybody the same it's the essence of the soul which is the essence of God and it it equally relates to every level inside of us it's removed from everybody. That there should be a difference in levels. Now, when was there a moment when the Jewish people experienced the makif of Yechida, which was by everybody equal, and it was revealed by them? Well, one of those moments was by the giving of the Torah. It says, by the giving of the Torah, when, when the Jewish people stood there and said, we want the Torah, we want, we, we will do and we will hear, there was no difference between the devotion of one Jew and another Jew. As it says, they only had one heart because they experienced the makav of Yechida. And when they experienced the makav of Yechida, we're absolutely exactly the same because our divine essence is one. God doesn't have pieces. So the divine essence is, 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 is the same in everybody. Since it was God's essence speaking through us, it was equal in every single person. Loshen yachid, and that's why the Jewish people then are suddenly one. and we say, and that's the deeper meaning of birabim. Even though it's rabim, it's many, but the one that's inside of it, deep inside, where it's equal in everybody, in all the rabim. And we also say bless us, kulanu because we're all one. galgalta. This is the very, very high level. Now, as it is in, in our souls, it's the Yechida. As it is in the divine realms, it's called the, the Keter, the crown, but the higher side of the crown, Atik Yomen, the ancient of days. And in the ancient of days, it's the innermost of the ancient of days. It's the first three spherot in Keser and Pneumius and, and, and Atik. It's, it's called Gimel Rishainais the Akte, the first three Basically, the place where the essence is revealed, God's essence is revealed. Who is going to 
permanently experience that level of the of divinity, that truth of God, Moshiach is going to is going to is going to touch that level. Not just touch it, he's going to fully manifest that level. And when he reaches it, he's going to bring all, all of us into that consciousness. This is the level of Galgalta, which is the, the skull. And within the skull, the first three, the crown, the Chachman Bina of the Gogolas, which this level includes every single Jew. Because it's the essence of everybody. The Jewish people are the souls that are part of the head, souls that are part of the heart, souls that are part of the toenails. But the essence is the essence of everybody. In other words, there's one being who's the, who, who, who this is his body, and therefore it's his toe, it's his heart, and it's his eye, and it's his brain. So it's the same him that's in everything. That's what we're talking about. The very, the very essence of the being himself. And that is equal in the entire body. Now, this is equal by everybody and there were only moment, a moment in history that when it was revealed was by the giving of the Torah, but then it was concealed again. When is this going to be here permanently? when Mashiach comes, for all of us. But during the time since the giving of the Torah, until Mashiach comes, there are unique individuals throughout history who manifest this level. Like Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, like Rabbi Akiva, and like our Rabbeim, the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid, the Alter Rebbe, these people lived in this level of of absolute oneness with God. and he says, and this radiant this radiant shines, in unique individuals, that's in every generation. Who are these people? These are the leaders of the generation and the biggest tzaddikim. This is the Moshe, Moses himself, and the Moshe that's in every generation. Sha'amar, in which Moshe Rabbeinu says, actual words in the verses, 600,000, 600,000 feet of the people, that I am amongst them. What is Moshe saying? Moshe is saying, in my soul is radiating the essence of all of the Jewish people. And that's why he's saying the essence of the 600,000. From top to bottom, every single type of Jew, their, their quintessence is the same. It's the point of God that's inside everybody. That's in all the souls. That was vividly experienced in Moshe's soul. That's why he says that I am... There's 600,000 thousand different types of souls with different mindsets. Everybody has their own grasp of God. Everybody has their own level of desire. Even on the transcendental levels, which is the Chaya, everybody's different. 
the drive, the 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 the, the transcendent drive that people have towards Hashem, which is bigger than their mind. The mind for sure is everybody's different. But even in the transcendent force of Chaya that shines by people, it's also different in accordance to the nature of each soul. And there there's differences. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, 600,000 that I am amongst them, in the deepest point of them, that's where there is only one. Moshe, who is one with all of them, and that's the love of all your soul, that's still everybody different. But the level of Yechida. Makif la makif, the encompassing of the encompassing, kulam shavim over there, they're all equal. Vinikra ish echad, and on that level, the Jewish people are all called one person, a singular person. Like it says, vayichan Yisrael, that he camped, the Jewish people camped as a singular individual by, by the mountain, by the giving of the Torah. Pchenes galgalta, because on that moment, this high, lofty level, was revealed inside their consciousness, in their souls. What Moshe Rabbeinu lived every moment, they felt during the giving of the Torah. But you know what it says? After the giving of the Torah, God says to the Jewish people, go tell them to go home. What it means is that they all left Sinai. Everybody left that experience. Physically, they left it. But more than physically, they left it spiritually. You know, it's that level of oneness and that level of depth of complete identification with God, the people could not live in that state. They all went back home. But God says to Moshe, Va'ata and you, you stay over here. That means Moshe never left Sinai. And in every generation, there is Moshe of the generation who is attached to the essence of every Jewish soul and is able to reveal the essence of every Jewish soul. And that's the Moshiach of the generation. It's the Moshe and the Moshiach of the generation. Because in general, Moshe and Moshiach is the same level. This is a level that's even deeper than desire. You can feel desire, that's considered external. This is deeper than desire. This, I don't want to be close to God. I am Him. I am one with Him. As we discussed there, that's why they were able to say, we will do and we will hear. Once this level is revealed, there is no more war. And therefore, these tzaddikim, these righteous individuals that have attained this level, have no more conflict in their life. And that's the reason why he says, so in this case, means, in the many, in the 600,000 different types of souls that there are, what's inside of them and equal in all of them, Hoya Imadi is shining, is with me, meaning it's radiating in my consciousness. And that's why I've reached a level of peace. If that level, if the level of Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama is shining inside a person's consciousness, you're in a state of peace. Moshe has no conflict in his life. Moshiach has no conflict in his life. And all the tzaddikim that are the link between Moshe and Moshiach, all those righteous people, they have no conflict. Because this level of soul is shining in them. And once the essence is revealed, there is no, there is no more opposition. Now, 
the essence of the infinite light was revealed to them and is revealed to them. Shebegalgalta, that is in the in the skull, Shenikra Keser Akloli, that is called the general force of Keser, the general Keser. Al came Pad Nafshi. That's why my soul was redeemed in peace. The clawless Nishmas Yisrael of the Jewish. See, so what does King David say? The art Sadiqim will have this as an individual experience. But King David is praying that this should be the experience of everybody. And this eventually will be the experience of everybody. Once Moshiach re- is revealed and he leads everybody into this consciousness. The Rebbe told us 30 years ago that Moshiach is revealed already. And if we so choose, we could live in this consciousness. We're no more blocked. The access code has been given to us. It's amazing Chiddush. And then we won't need any more a battle. And if we don't, won't need a battle internally, we won't need a battle externally. That's why we call this class the final battle within and without. We will reach a point that there's no more need for a battle within. And once we accomplish it within, it happens automatically without. The enemies of the Jewish people will disappear and it will be really cool to see who will flip over and how they will flip over. But it seems to contradict the end, the beginning. The word berabim implies plural, many. Says, was with me, which is in the singular. So if anything, it should have said. I think the main question is not on the Hoya, on the Imadi, but on the Vahoya. It should have said, Ki berabim hayu imadi. The, the multitudes were with me in plural. The plural were with me individually. Lashin yachadavka. Rabbi means what is hidden in the Rabbi, we said earlier. And Hoyemadi means is with me, is revealed. The idea is as follows. That lofty level of Yechida that is hidden in the Rabbi, in the many. And therefore, that includes all the souls of Israel. The Koymas HaMalchus, of the coma of, 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 of Malchus, which includes all souls. In other words, it's both many and, 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 and individual. Why? It's many because it's the point of essence that's in everybody. Imadi singular because it's only singular few who get to who get to experience this 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 in 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 their in a revealed way the leaders of the jewish people that's why this level of complete mesiras nefesh we don't on, on an essential level like this we don't find it by regular people. It's only very few selected tzaddikim that are in this level. 
Hanal rak only in the eyes of the of the assembly. Those that God has chosen them to be the 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 leaders of the generation. Kasara haruge malucha, like the ten martyrs. Hanal shehem klalim shall call prati samachreish deyos, because these were not individual souls. They were meant to be all embracing, all inclusive souls. They included the 600,000 different types of souls. It says when you see 600,000 people, you make a special blessing. Because you notice that there are, wow, 600,000 different types of, 600,000 opinions. And that God can kind of work, be the God of so many different types of opinions. Different outlooks, different, 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 different manners of connection. So 600,000 represents the ultimate number of variation. So it's when you make a special bracha that God, oh, but then there are, then there is a tzaddik, a leader, who's able to, who's able to unify all these 600,000 because he's able to uncover because in him shines the level where all these are one. Because such a high level only shines in the first three levels of Chachma that are called the Mochin. That's where it reveals itself. And therefore it only reveals itself in those, in those people, in the generation, that they are the head of the generation. And it seems like within, within the, the first three, It's the the more qualistic this level of chachma is. We mean the higher the level of chachma is, the more it reveals itself. In other words, chachma exists in in individual levels, and chachma exists also in more 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 all encompassing levels. So the higher you go in the levels of chachma, to the more all inclusive letters levels. That's where this singular light that encompasses everything shines. And that level is really, ultimately, it's Moshe and Moshiach that, that attained this level. stated So David is saying, that level of Rabbim, King David is the one speaking, who says that this is such a lofty, abstract level, is revealed inside of me. King David is also the leader of the generation in his generation. He was the Moses of his generation. He was the leader of the Jewish people, in a revealed way. Like Moshe says, I am amongst them. So similar to Moshe, King David and his generation. However, there is also the simple meaning. According to this interpretation, it's very lofty. Barabim means the essence of the souls that is equal by everybody, that's in the multitudes, was with me. It's very abstract. It was very hard to explain what we just learned. It's a little abstract, it's a little distant from us. But the verse also means something very simple, which is, it says, that what, why, what saved King David was that he had a minion with him. He had a quorum of 10 Jews with him. Barabim, through the Rabbim, through the many, where it says that the Rabbim prayed, the quorum of ten, the people, the minion davened for King David. And Hoye Madi Hashem was with him. 
So what does that mean on the simple level? To achieve such level, although we said earlier that the art sadikim, that because of they, who they are, because they're the leaders of the Jewish people, this level is shining upon them. Yet, even by them, when they are amongst many, many Jews, it shines much stronger. In other words, you need a minion. You need 10 Jews there, and then the tzaddik, and then the Moshe is imbued with this high level of godliness. It's the many that are there. Because wherever the many are, there is the, there is the common denominator that, that reveals itself in the many, and that's the singular essence. And that's the Hashem was with him in public. That's why he was redeemed in peace. The reason it says, that's because where there is 10 people, the Shekhinah is there. And even Moshe, Moshe needed to daven with a minion. He needed to daven with a minion. Because when you're davening, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to pray with a minion, with a quorum, because when you're praying with a, with a minion, these much infinitely higher levels of your soul are present in your prayer. Or else you're left only with your individual, narrow godliness. But when you're automatically with 10, there is a certain dwelling of this, of this yechida. That's there inside your prayer. And obviously when, when you're praying from your Yechida, it is a million times more potent. And there was a difference when Moshe Redbenu davened b'yachid and he davened alone when he davened with a quorum. For the reason we said before. Because the reason why it's only in the Mochin, in the first three of Chachma, that, that this hidden abstract level reveals itself. Because it says God dwells in Chachma. the Hine, he starts saying a reason. With this, he concludes the whole mimer. And he starts giving a reason why, from this reason, it would make sense why, when you're with a minion, when you're with ten people, this should re- manifest and reveal itself much more. Why? Let's try to read this slowly. I'm not, I'm not getting it. Let's uh, let's let's try to do this slowly, and then let's see if, if, if it will make sense. Because he doesn't seem like he wraps it back up to the minion. It almost like he left that he leaves that piece seemingly untied. At the end of this long discourse, we're going on and on. He seems to like leave this last thing, like so. You're wondering. So let's see if we maybe maybe it will come together as we're reading it. Why is it that 
in the in the first three of Chachma, which means on the only in the in the highest levels of the soul and in the collective soul of the Jewish people, referring to the great tzaddikim, we said the leaders of the Jewish people, they can experience such a level of essence that's revealed in in the first three of Chachma. If it's a makif akloli, if it's an if it's a general makif, then it's equal everywhere. So why does it? Why is it? Why? Here's a question: If this is a level of of divinity of of God's essence that no one is closer to it, so then why is it revealing itself in the tzaddik over everybody? It's just as far from anybody. In other words, if once it's revealed, everybody's the same. If it's revealed, but it only reveals itself by the tzaddik. It doesn't make any sense. If you're talking about particular levels, so you can say that tzaddik is more developed, but there's not a particular level. There's the essence. So the answer, the fee, let's see, the fee shenemar, and the answer is because it says in the apostle, Kashem b'chachma. That Havaya, which is Yudke Vavke, the only vessel that can facilitate and receive his truth is Chachma. That's why we know that the Orin Sof, its first, its place where it dwells is in Chachma, not in Bina. Through Chachma, God comes down into Bina, into the further spheres. And in Chachma itself, because Chachma itself has deeper levels. So the innermost of Chachma is the place where Havaya can manifest. Why? So here's the point. For the for for Vessels and containers are never a vessel for the ultimate truth of God. Vessels, containers are not vessels. So we're not looking over here as for a sophisticated vessel. Because vessels don't make a difference. The only thing that the the only the only place that it can be revealed is where there is the potential for absolute for absolute self-effacement for absolute non-existence chachma is the only power within the soul that is willing to be abnegated completely bina which is the second level of the soul is already ri- is already rigid and demands to understand it needs to understand what's going on. Chachma is able to be silent and quiet and just be passive and allow truth to shine into it. 
without it needing to give a slant, without it needing to give its interpretation, Chachma can just... So Chachma is a keli, not because it's a keli. Chachma is a keli because it's not interfering. It's not blocking. And that's the reason why we're saying that the biggest tzaddikim are a... Are even though we're dealing with the, the revelation of the Abishter's essence, and that's equal everywhere, it's true. No one, no one is a vessel, and no one can, it's not closer to any level. But where there is nothingness, it can manifest. Where there is somethingness, then no matter what that something is, it's not a vessel. So Chachma is, is a vessel, not because it's a vessel. Chachmah is, is a vessel because Chachmah gets out of the way. That's the idea. Chachmah creates space for it. That's it. Chachmah is not a vessel. See, there's two things about a vessel. When you're looking at a vessel, there's two things to a vessel. There's the space that's inside the vessel. And then there is the shape of the vessel. The design of the vessel. In every vessel, the quality is the shape of the vessel. You're, you're, the, the shape plays in Chachma, it's not the shape. It's just the space. Now, the shape, no one is a vessel for this. But where there is no 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 assertion of self, it can it it can be. So how is this going to explain how where there is 10 Jews together? Where there is a minion, it can manifest. We'll see in a moment. Because just people, I think maybe, just because people are coming together and they're sharing one space, there is a certain bittle. When you are alone and when you're sitting in your own space, then you're, it's, it's your way. It's my, it's the way I see it, the way I understand I'm connecting to God through my prism. Once you're walking into a minion, you already melted yourself into the quorum. You dissolved yourself. So you've activated Chachma. A minion happens in the space of Chachma. That, 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 that's what allows for a minion, for 10 people to share the same space, is to become abnegated and, non, and non-existent. And that's why it can reveal itself there. So I think that's where he's going with this. So let's read inside. So again, where the something is nullified, the quality of Chachma and Pnimius Chachma is that its level of nullification is is Ayin Mamish. It's literally nothing. Not a bitl, not a nullification that that comes through some kind of a, of a human grasping. Where you have already a slant and understanding why you're nothing or how it works or so on or something like that. Complete silence. Allowing the MS to shine in that place as it is in its full truth. This is this complete disintegration of self. Not like an internal light, because an internal light already is 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 measured according to the vessel. 
It's already filling your mind, how you understand it, how you, how you feel about it. Even if what you're feeling, it's engendering a holy feeling and an excitement and a holy understanding, but it's still there is already a, 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 a self over here. Levat Kanal. Someone who has this Mesiris Nefesh. So then his Chachma is, 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 is separated from everybody else. And these are like the eyes of the community. In other words, people whose Chachma is very sharp, people whose quality of Bittal is extreme. Now, who? So there are in every community there could be a leader like this. It's Sadik. But their very first power of Chachma people, people that have the ability to become not truthfully in front of God, to ultimate nothingness and be complete self effacement. There are 36 hidden, hidden Sadikim in every generation. There are 36 of these tzaddikim. These 36 tzaddikim, they see the shechina every day. What is, what is the, the word chazi they see? means they have the experience of the innermost of chachma, which means they have complete bittal, and God can reveal himself to them as he is. As it's going to be in the future. And why 36? Because we said before, the concept over here is the concept of the or kloli, of this encompassing light that's equal by everybody, is that you first have 600,000 souls, which each one has an opinion of their own. Each one has a mindset of their own. And then there is the singular essence that is the essence of all of them. So what's the number we speak about? 600,000. Why? Why 600,000? Because there are six directions. His chalkos, division, what makes some people be this type of people and some people be that type of people, some people more lo- loving, some people more disciplining, some, some people more compassionate, some people more fighting for things, uh, victory, some people more submissive. It's because there are six emotions. So the six emotions engender a hundred thousand souls in each direction. Together, it's six hundred thousand souls, and that's the six hundred thousand of every type of soul. So, if the number is six hundred thousand, when you limit, when you break them down to root souls, the root number is really six. Now, since each of them have all the others included in them, since it's in the holiness, it's not so. It's six times six. So that's 36. So the 36 are really the general power of the 600,000 souls. So these are the four moichen. And how do you get, he gives it another meaning to 36. You have chachma and bina which is two, chesed and gvura, which is another two. And then there are 36, 32 uh, chambers. What this means exactly, that 
from the four moichin, which is Chachman, Bin, and Chesed, and Gevura, then later emanate into 32. I'm not exactly sure what this is. Lamed Beis Chadarim. Together you end up with 36. You have to look up the source. So, these tzaddikim are the 36 root tzaddikim that are in this state of Bittal. That's why it could manifest in them. But that's why we also understand, as we said earlier, that the more you include yourself into a public, the closer this is to manifesting. That's why even the big tzaddikim are enhanced by a minion. That's what we're saying, by a quorum. All flesh will see. They get to see now these 36 tzaddikim. When Mashiach will come, we will all have that bittel. And this, when you have this deep level of bittel, this level of truth can reveal itself inside the soul. This is the inner, this is not just wisdom. This is the inner, inner point of wisdom. This is the real nothingness, as it is. Not the way we interpret nothing, but the way it really is. And since the essence of God, which is this makif of Yechida, is the, is the, is the true cause of bringing into being all lights, encompassing lights and internal lights and all their vessels, Kiedua, Al Kain, Therefore, even in contemplation, where you're going away from the Chachma and you're going into the Bina, you can still hold on to this deep Bittal. I'm not exactly sure what he wants over here. I end and, and conclude the mimer not having any idea of what he just said. And I surrender with complete bittle that I don't know anything that he just said, especially at the end, which is very, very exciting and humbling thought. May Mashiach come here today and then we will have hopefully the, the understanding of the end of it of the conclusion of the Mimer. Thank you for joining.